As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I think! And time, and time again. Break up the music! Charge your glass! This nation is going to dance all night! Which Man City player is the most likely future Arsenal player? The England under-21s of the early 2000s who somehow never played for Leeds? Brighton like signing goal-shy strikers from around the globe. Let them sign more of them. A search for the elite-level strikers that Chelsea haven't managed to ruin. Antoine Griezmann's miserable Manchester United season and a half. An entire 11 of pure Bournemouth men. Wolves' next Portuguese lodger. And West Ham's absolutely textbook transfer announcement. Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is Football Cliche. Hello everyone and welcome to episode 185 of Football Clichés. The seemingly endless summer transfer window of 2022 is almost at an end. And I have invited two of the Athletic's brightest minds to help me try and get to the very core of all 20 Premier League clubs' transfer DNA as the deadline approaches. Right, welcome Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. And welcome, Jack Pitbrook. Hey. Charlie, there's kind of two strands to what we're trying to do here today. Um, First of all, we're trying to kind of figure out what are the preoccupations, the current transfer preoccupations of all 20 Premier League clubs at the moment. Do Do you think this is a doable task? Because a lot of them have transfer strategies. A lot of them have kind of habits that they can't shake. And I think it's our job to kind of hold them to task about this. Never before has so much kind of weight and importance been given to recruitment staff of clubs. You know, fans call them by their first names. They're put on a pedestal. Everyone loves knowing and, you know, sort of glorifying these people. So having a strategy is key. And so, you know, if you don't have a clear thing for us to talk about here, then you may be doing something wrong. So to kind of illustrate that, to try and bring that all together, we're going to try and think of a the very specific type of player, not an actual player, but a very specific type of player that sums up that club's current 
transfer preoccupation. Now, the other strand of this, Jack Pitbrook, is possibly more fun. We're going to try and decide who the most Premier League Club X player has never played for Premier League Club X. And this isn't to do with transfer rumours, nothing like that. Just which, which player kind of sums up, sums them up so perfectly, historically or currently, and has, but has never played for them. And, and Jack, this kind of unashamedly taps into one of my favourite footballing stimulations, which is how the hell did player X never play for Club Y, which I think, which I think is the most intellectual of, um, of hang-ups. Yeah, I love this. It, 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 even thinking about it this morning immediately took me back to the, one of the worst moments of my life, which was how on earth did Eunice Kabul not play for Queen's Park Rangers? <laughs> <laughs> That's why we've done well, this. One it's that quite, still keeps me awake at night. It's quite annoying that QPR aren't in the Premier League at the moment because they would have it really is. at least 5% of this podcast off. See also that. Burnley. Yes. Yes, very much so. But there's still enough to play with. I hope you're both primed. Uh, we have lots of contributions from friends of these clubs as well. Um, so let's launch into it straight away. This is every Premier League club's transfer DNA. I'm going to do this in order of the current Premier League table, actually. It keeps it fresh, keeps it bouncy, and uh, might keep a few people listening to the end. Um, let's begin with table-topping Arsenal. Charlie, I'll kick you off with this. Akpomd writes in and says, The fact that Julian Draxler never wore the Arsenal shirt makes me wonder whether the past 10 years of football actually happened. Now, I know we've raised Draxler before on this podcast as a transfer rumour stalwart. And he was, of course, linked a lot with Arsenal. But why is slash was he so Arsenal? Well, I think there were more Arsenal-y players they didn't sign than Draxler. I think part of the excitement with Draxler actually was that he was a... Well... He wasn't so different, but if you remember at that time was when they were monopolising kind of Cazorla, Nasri, Kleb had, had left, but it was those sorts. They had a lot of Fabregas had, had been there recently. They had a lot of attacking midfielders, but Drax, I think, was a bit more direct. Um, now, Jack, if we were doing this podcast, say, 15 years ago, we'd be talking about Arsenal's preoccupation with signing uh, random Frenchmen, but we can't do that anymore because we've got to be far more topical than that. So what, in your eyes, is Arsenal's average transfer target? What do they look like? Short, technical, mm. very, very technical, uh, possibly left-footed, um, best, best first touch in world football, honestly, incredible first touch. <laughs> Doesn't score a huge amount of goals, looks very, very good. So there was like a really good run, as Charlie just said, there was a really good run of these such players from kind of Kleb, Kleb and Fabregas all the way through to, I guess it kind of bottomed out with Cazorla at the end of the Wenger era. But since then, I was wondering, do you, Charlie, do you think that Odegaard suggests that, you know, Arsenal are kind of getting back to their, you know, what you might call traditional Arsenal values? Maybe, with Vieira coming in as well. Yeah, exactly. So have, having another sort of dainty, left-footed, creative midfielder. I mean, I think Arsenal, they, uh, they like to bring in young players. I mean, there was this whole thing last summer where Gary Neville said, I just can't see what Arsenal's strategy is which was met with derision because they have a very... You might disagree with it, but their strategy is very, very obvious. It's bring in, as Jack says, technical, dainty, young players. And they've signed tons of those guys. Um, so, And at the moment, a lot of them speaking Portuguese. That seems to be the sort of the new French down at the Emirates. That, that's a big help, I think. Uh, on a more topical, perhaps even Route 1 note, Jack, which current Manchester City player is most destined to play for Arsenal? I scoured the squad... And there are a few options, actually, really, that stand out logically. But stylistically, the only name I could think of was Imeric Laporte. I could see him going to Arsenal. I go for Mares, I think. OK. I mean, he's not quite classic Arsenal, but he's like maybe a little bit, a touch more wingery. But uh, the first touch, the left-footedness, the way he comes inside, the fact that, you know, whatever, you know, you might quibble with some elements of his game, but you cannot quibble with his technique. 
for me, he's just Arsenal enough. Probably more so Bernardo Silva, who's a bit more of a scurrier. Yeah, I think Bernardo Silva would be their dream, but he's a little out of their league. Yeah, I He's 28 as well, which I think yeah. is, is a real clincher here. But otherwise, he, he kind of bleeds Arsenal. I can also, I can hear, hear the Emirates going, oh, collectively during the Emirates Cup as Bernardo Silva makes his bow <laughs> in an Arsenal shirt. But he's too old. He's the wrong age profile, which just means <laughs> age. But age profile makes you sound like you know more about football. Age profile really does make you sound like you know a lot about football indeed. Right, let's move on to Manchester City. Uh, I quite like this one. If we can go retro for a moment, Jack. Big D's writes in says, City pre-takeover. Washed former England strikers Andy Cole, Robbie Fowler, Darius <laughs> Purcell. Emil Heskey would be ideal to add to this. Now, I never really thought of this, but Heskey in a Man City shirt, well, I can, I can see it. I can see it. Yeah, I can definitely see Heskey playing for Stuart Pearce's City. You know, Ben Thatcher, big diagonal, Heskey flick on, Vassell run around the back, get in behind. Uh, sadly, it never happened, but it certainly would have fitted with the era. Well, let's bring it forward to 2022 then, Jack. Who who kind of fits City's profile now? I think the City. a lot of the City signings the last few years have been kind of robotic automatons. You know, guys who are not especially individualistic, like Haaland and Grealish are maybe slightly different from this, but guys who are very good players, who come straight in, who can immediately understand the Pep system, and who, you know, maybe they look slightly interchangeable, but they can play every single different position on the pitch. Little um, slugs with no personality. Yeah, so I'm thinking Bernard... Bernardo, Cancelo, Rodri, Laporte, certainly, Diaz, arguably, uh, players like that. And of course, De Bruyne is very much in that mould as well. Effortless £55 million fees as well. Mm, I mean, yeah. Always. Not, yeah, generally it's always City's 50. Thing. It's not £100 million players. It's all, yeah. you know, sort of 50 to 70. Uh, and it just kind of has that, that air of like cold, efficient intelligence. Uh, to how they do, so I've got a, I've got a player who I think is so like fits that descri- this description better than anyone who have actually listed. Uh, probably the ultimate Pep player doesn't play for Pep at the moment is Kimmich. Mm. Kimmich is just so Pep's Manchester City. Obviously, Did he used to play for Pep? He would have come through at, at the end. At the, yeah, the Pep's last season, he might have been right on the fringes. That ruins it for me slightly. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, Charlie, several City fans plus our uh, athletic correspondent Sam Lee all plumped for Isco as the most Manchester City player ever to not play for Manchester City. Again, it, it, it almost feels too real. I, I could just see him in the shirt, just swanning around the Etihad. Yeah, though, pre-Pep in my mind. Because I think I, I think he's a bit too individualistic. Okay, so more of a Pellegrini era. Yeah, because I feel like Pellegrini's side was more exciting in many ways. They had more wild cards. I'm not sure he would subsume himself into that system quite as, as, as is needed. Right, let's move on to Leeds United. And uh, uh, unashamedly want to go retro here again, thanks to listener Colin Weir, uh, Charlie, who suggested Leeds early 2000s signing that never happened, Kieran Dyer, which it, it sounds very kind of, yeah, the goldfish era Leeds United. It compelled me to go through the England squads for the European Under-21 Championships in the early 2000s. And I came up with this list of crackers, who you will be stunned <laughs> to find out never play for Leeds, not even once. David Dunn. Matt Janssen, Lee Hendry, John Harley, Danny Murphy, Luke Chadwick, Paul Koncheski, Jonathan Greening and Chris Riggett. That's amazing. All bleed leads. Yeah, I mean, especially the striker. They had four like really, really good strikers when they brought in Fowler and they had Keenan. Uh, so I feel like he would have been ripe for that sort of period. Right, Charlie. So let's bring it to the present day. Leeds, obviously an all-action dynamic 
mm. pressing machine. That's their profile, right? That's what we're after here. Yeah, I mean, I've just written high energy, malleable players seems to be the, the sort of approach. I mean, uh, yeah, guys who can run a lot all day, ideally. Mm. Yeah, this is the hangover from the Bielsa thing. Obviously, you know, this idea that their mentality has changed somewhat, but it isn't just about being enthusiastic presses, Jack. It's about being uh, willing to be told what to do at all times, which I think is key to Jesse Marsh's model. Completely, yeah. You need good, obedient, like nice, obedient boys mm. who will also do all the hard work. Uh, I've got here, I mean, again, leaning heavily on the American connection. Josh Sargent can make the journey up from Norwich City. Uh, yeah. Weston McKenney. Bit of a leap mm. from Juventus to Leeds United, but I just feel like you know Leeds have got their more thing on now. him later, uh, and they've got to go all in on it now. Yeah, I feel like they've missed their. Sorry, I feel like the ship has finally sailed, Charlie, on Leeds signing Mate Vidra uh, because it's either <laughs> them or Leicester who should have signed him in 2013. But I just can't see it happening now. That is a real, and I know everyone says it's a cliche, but that is a real. I cannot believe he hasn't played for them. I'm stunned. That genuinely is stunning. Fidra is the centre of that universe for me. Yeah, so yeah, he is. <laughs> right, Spurs next. And if you if you two can't uh, engage with this one, then what the hell are you being paid to do? Charlie, on a semi-serious note, I feel like Spurs consistently have the most befitting transfer strategy. I'm not saying they always get it right, but they know their kind of very specific place in the food chain. They're not into they're not really into massive coups and shock deals in the same way that other biggish clubs are. They're into kind of tidy, solid world-class-ish players who look like they'd give a 7 out of 10 football focus interview. I give you Leonardo Spinazzola. I give you Daniel Marlon, Cody Gakpo, Pau Torres, João Palhinha, uh, once he's finished impressing at Fulham. Yeah, I mean, I actually, my starting point here was, I think, the same as uh, the director of football, Paratici, which is to look up the Aventus squad. And, <laughs> and that kind of was a good starting point for me. And McKenney was a name. And because they have been linked with him before... Thought, oh, that would be that would be perfect. Sort of Juve guy who mm. you know is is highly rated. Not one of their biggest players because you know they're probably not going to sign one of those. But in the kind of Benton Kerr Kudelski mold, so he uh, he jumped right out at me. Um, Jack, some names to throw at you before you have your turn. Um, listener Sam writes in and says Spurs are currently a landing place for unfulfilled or emerging Serie A talent, as Charlie says. What about Federico Chiesa? I can see him at Spurs. Yeah, I can see Chiesa. So my my starting point for this was very good early twenties prospect, but maybe not like Mbappe Haaland levels. So and also someone who carries like a bit of an air of uh, seriousness and professionalism. Yeah. Uh, so I've got Julian Weigel. Uh, I've got Marco Royce, <laughs> now a bit older. Um, yeah. Charles de Ketelare uh, was submitted to me by our colleague James Moore earlier. Good. Uh, Pau Torres, of course, is an actual Tottenham target from last year, who you so said totally would have been perfect. Unbelievably Spurs as well. I mean, Charlie, I, I can read the 3,500 word profile from you on Pau Torres. I probably did. I've probably written it already, just in case. <laughs> so I've got like ten on ice. He was just so impressive in yeah. training when he arrived, and they were they were struck by how well he'd settled <laughs> in as well. Absolutely, and I think growing up, he'd always been so determined, you know, to succeed. Always wanted to play in England. Always yeah. stood out in his age groups. So yeah, it's just had been watching really the Premier League before he came here, but not necessarily with a view to moving here, just because he was interested. Yeah, yeah, he's a great student of the game. Just, yeah. a, just a really exciting signing all round. <laughs> I can't wait to see him up close. Well, you've both lived up to your uh, professional billing here. Well done. This is excellent. Right, Brighton. 
who on the face of it might be a trickier one, but I don't think so. I, I quite like this. Tom Stewart kicks us off, Jack, with Brighton are all about going all in on a particular region and rarely delving outside of that until they move on to the next. At With Dean, we had a bit of French influx, then Spanish in the early Amex years. Then after promotion, it was Belgian, Dutch, German, and now it's South American. That's kind of true. I kind of like this. Yeah, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it that way at all. Uh, my main, In my mind, the main characteristic is the best players they sign are players I've never heard of. Like yeah. generally, they're they're just kind of fbref.com legends and stats bomb pizza guys, but they're not players who. I mean, obviously, like I'd heard of, yeah, even I'd heard of Danny Welbeck and Mope, but for the most part, they're pure stats signing. So I've got no idea who the ultimate Brighton signing is because, it, by definition, it's somebody who's never really entered my consciousness before. That's right, Charlie. I get the. I mean the semi-serious impression of Brighton as kind of a club obsessed with being shrewd. Oh, we've got to be shrewd. On a scene to be shrewd. Please say we're being astute. Um, Luke Jensen-Jones writes in and says, feel like Brighton, it's either a forward from a reasonably obscure nation like Ecuador or Israel who arrives from a club that Tony Bloom also happens to own. Now, this got me thinking. I'm convinced that Brighton just like signing ultimately quite unthreatening strikers. So they should just sign more of them. Anthony Knockart, Toma Hamed, Jürgen Lacardia, Florin Andone, Neil Mopé, Andy Zakiri, Denis Undav and Julio Enciso. They're all so Brighton. Well, uh, yeah, I um, I thought it was so... Because they don't... Yeah, they don't sign... The one thing we do know is they don't sign goal-scoring strikers. That's not really what they do. They're kind of above that. And I just thought for, for kind of XG United, this team who always underscored their XG, that was the issue. They signed Danny Welbeck. It just felt so on brand. It was like, how can we nail this corner of the market and get someone in who's going to get lots of chances, probably won't score a lot of them? I've got it. Danny Welbeck. That, I mean, that feels already like a kind of a perfect front man for, for all the kind of dainty Trossardi playmakers behind him. Yeah, I just don't want to live in a world, Jack, where Brighton have a genuine 20-goal-a-season striker. I just, it, it, would, it would ruin everything. What would be even worse would be Brighton spending 40 million quid on mm. a, you know, washed-up Deli Alley. For example, or just like another really, really, like an an excessively famous player. Yeah. And saying, throwing the, uh, throwing the FB ref book out the window Mm. and going all in on like who's someone who we want, or someone who had one good game in the World Cup, someone Mm. who notches once for Mexico and they're like, get him in, 50 million quid. Yeah, they're going to have their retired dad sort of buying a Porsche phase at some point. But I still think we're a good five or six years away from that. Now, this could be a very tricky one. Newcastle United. Charlie, I think it's quite hard to read the current transfer Mm. state of Newcastle because, rightly or wrongly, everyone presumably expected a Chelsea 2003 style splurge as soon as that takeover happened. And it hasn't materialised for better or worse. Um, so what's their deal? Yeah, I mean, it's like someone's won the lottery and you're like, go on, mate, go and, go and get everyone drinks or a holiday or something. Like, well, I, think I'll just, I think I'll just invest it, actually. Like, Fucking hell, have some fun. Sign Jeremy and Glenn Johnson, Darth, mm. live a little. Um, mm. Yeah, I think they have been quite... I mean, it's, it's a, I mean, as we record, I think they're going to sign uh, Isaac, aren't they, from Sociedad, which I guess yeah. is more sort of splurgy. But otherwise, it's been very sensible, sort of looking at you know, who's knocking around at Villa or Burnley or teams around them and taking some of their sort of, you know, proven Premier League players. Yeah, right out of the blue, Jack, as Charlie said, minutes before we sat down to record, this is perfect. Newcastle United have agreed a deal to sign Alexander Isak from Real Sociedad. The deal is worth in the region of 60 million and the strikers move to St James's Park is now thought to be imminent. It 
all makes sense. They're essentially becoming the club who finally were prepared to splash the right amount of cash on a player who at some point in the last 18 months <laughs> just oozed one to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Isaac is so one to watch. I think he's replaced Hakan Chalanoglu as <laughs> Europe's biggest one to watch over the last five years. I actually think what, what, watching Newcastle the other day, I was obviously Alan Maximan was great, but one of the one of the things I like about him is he's very much in that Newcastle United tradition. David Ginola, Laurent Robert, mm. Hatton Ben Arthur, Florian Tovan of your mercurial French wingers. Uh, so I would think like that is, obviously they wouldn't sign another one like that now, but because they've already got Sam Maximan, but that would be my bit of Newcastle DNA, I think. Yeah. You know who they could give a home to, and he's who's always, he may be a bit too old now, is Carrasco, who's been perennially linked with everyone, but everyone's thought like, do I want to take a punt on this guy? But maybe Newcastle could finally, finally lure him to the Premier League. Newcastle's reluctance to just splash the cash on pretty much anybody really has ruined this podcast episode, actually, because we really were pinning our hopes on them one day. But um, that's fine. It's fine to be measured. It's fine to be measured about this. Now, with Fulham, doing a Fulham has passed into into the lexicon and they seem to be quite aware of not repeating the act of doing a Fulham. (laughs) Jay writes in Jack and says, surely 90% of Fulham's transfer business is buying players you have heard of from the Europa League but aren't sure if they're great or not. Tete, Anderson, that was on loan, Mbabu, Angisa, sort of slightly showy-offy signings but they don't quite work. Yes, my favourite type of Fulham signing is slightly showy-offy signings who are maybe not so much Europa League as players who are a bit past their peak but who were once, you know, superstars or potential superstars. Ryan Babel, Andre Schürrle, Stecklenburg, Mitroglu, Luciano Vieto, Berbatov, Karagounis, arguably Brian Ruiz. That's yeah. what I... And mm. also, you know, classy, talented players who would think, yeah, I had a good time, but it's time to go and live in West London and play sort of low-intensity Premier League football for a bit. Despite this kind of Europa League or higher level ambition, Charlie... Um, there is one player who's been linked with Everton, but he's not Everton at all. And that is Neil Mopay of Brighton. He's running out of time to play for Fulham <laughs> because he he's pure Fulham. Can I, you at imagine? At some point in the last two or three years, he's pure Fulham. Him and Mitrovic, mm. who, I mean, I feel like they're too similar to play together. Yeah, I mean, like you. But he's quite small, have... isn't he? Ish. I feel like, yeah, attitude-wise, he's always kind of up in defenders' grills, trying to wind them up and that sort of thing. Together, I don't know, that might be that might be too much. Is it too much to have Ivan Rakitic at Fulham? Rakitic Ooh. needs to come That's what I've somewhere. got. That's what I've got written down here. It's a slight... It's because, I mean, like, he's obviously slightly too big time for Fulham, but that's what, in a sense, makes him so Fulham. You know, the guy do, you, wanted, do you see it happening later in his career, like, properly Yeah, late. give it two years if they're still in the Premier League. You know, the guy, he's won a Champions League, he's played in the World Cup final. He can still and now see it's the time class. For now, now it's time to play with Tom Kearney in <laughs> midfield for Fulham. <laughs> Welcome, Ivan Rakitic. I mean, Fulham as well, back in the day, were this sort of France B team. You know, that under Tiganar, they had lots of... Alain uh, like, Goma. Yeah, Legvinsky, Marbronk. Marbronk, incidentally, I was thinking from years gone by, was a very Arsenal, not to play for Arsenal kind of player. Yes. Not when he got, yeah. not when he aged, but when he was right, young and very exciting for Fulham. I remember it felt like he could be the next cab off the rank. Hello, I'm James Richardson. If, like me, you've ever felt like one of Cantona's cows watching gamely as football steams past like an express train, then why not join me three times a week over on the Totally Football Show? Tuesday, it's the turn of the Euro crew, Horncastle, Honigstein, Alvaro Romeo and Julian Laurence to drop knowledge on all the continent's big stories. Thursday, then, it's back to our septic aisle to preview the weekend's Premier League games again with data beta Duncan Alexander and, this week, analysis from Carl Anker and Adrian Clark. 
Join us then for cogent insight, fun and a few feeble puns plus the odd move from me. Just search for The Totally Football Show wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX's Welcome to Wrexham premieres May 2nd on FX. Stream on Hulu. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Oh, look at that! That is wonderful! Brought to your ears by The Athletic. This is football cliches. Right, let's delve into the depths of the Premier League as it currently stands. Let's kick things off with Brentford. Essentially Bournemouth, Jack, but with Scandinavians, really. They know their type. Uh, (laughs) Danish specimens. Might be a defender, might be a midfielder, not sure. Exactly, yeah. I've got uh, Danish, like, multifunctional players who, realistically, if I walked past them on the street, I wouldn't know who they were. So not like Hoiberg, Christensen level, certainly... Not to be honest, Ericsson levels, but like the gut, you know, the sort of the the lesser known lights of the Denmark Euro twenty twenty squad: Joachim nice. Mahler, Yusuf Poulsen, Nikolai Boylesen, that level. Good shouts, yeah, Charlie. I'm getting the impression here of a player who isn't going to wait for the email from the video analysts on Sundays. He's chasing them up. <laughs> yeah, I've just got data led Danes. That's uh, <laughs> <Data> my, my, <laughs> my uh sort of criteria to, to sign for them. And I guess like we say with, Bright- with uh, Brighton, the key here is that I'm not going to, I don't have access to all this data, so I don't know who the next uh, one will be, but I think it will probably fit that prototype. Nice. Right, Crystal Palace next, Jack. Um, Jack Pierce writes in and says, technically gifted, but previously not fancied by coaches at other clubs' academies due to their size and or tactical diligence. Signed for a quarter of what their ceiling value could be, and they will become a full international while playing for Palace. So, I mean, a Crystal Palace fan there, writing and, and quite plainly stating their place in the food chain really yeah it's definitely got to be an attacking player i think it has to be a winger possibly even an old-fashioned winger skillful fast entertaining maybe goes down a little bit too easily arguably Ooh. so i was what i was wondering you know if his chelsea move doesn't doesn't work out could this be a future loan destination for anthony gordon oh no 
nice. That's a very that's a very surprising name, actually. Ed Quoth the Raven zooms in a little bit closer, Charlie. says, a skillful player from the championship, open brackets, Eze, Elise, Ebiowe, destined to spend their career getting fouled by angry defenders. So on that basis, I went to who scored and just checked who was getting fouled the most <laughs> in the championship. And it's either Ismail Assar or Todd Cantwell, who are both... Perfect. Mm, yeah. High grade Palace. I, I was thinking Saar. He's the one I've got written down. I mean, I think he could. He, there might be other clubs he could play for as well. But yeah, he feels like uh, he'd slot right in. Saar and Cantwell are both utterly perfect for Crystal Palace. Yeah, love it. Nottingham Forest now. <laughs> uh, the small army. The small army of signings, as we've understood already, Charlie. Um, but let me kick you off with this perhaps more mundane suggestion from Lusamski, who says the most Forest player we never signed. Darren Prattley, which I, in the <laughs> lowest key possible way, has blown my mind. How? How has Gary Weaver not described a Darren Prattley goal for Nottingham Forest in the Championship over the last three or four years? Any, they're slightly anything goes policy <laughs> this summer. We heard about their small army of signings and it sounds like there are more to come. I mean, they've been, it sounds like calling up Spurs and asking about a number of their players who can't get in the team. So I think they'll 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 take whoever's going. Well, like. on that note, Charlie, I mean, it's very easy for us laymen to get quite flippant about certain clubs' transfer policies. But I think if you were going to indulge in that, it's probably the easiest thing to do it for a club who've come up from the Championship and really need to revamp their squad. Because it, as you said, it does feel a little bit like whoever we can get to bulk our squad out for the rigours of the Premier League. And maybe, in the grand scheme of things, that isn't a bad policy. I mean, there aren't that many players available, so you've just got to get whoever you can. I mean, could they, yeah, could they have paired up Jesse Lingard with Deli Ali, the famous 2018 World Cup uh, England midfielders? Uh, if if Delhi hadn't gone to Turkey, I can definitely see them pursuing that. Jack, I think Get the four, band back together. Yeah, Jack, I think four years is about as far back as you should go to try and rekindle an international partnership <laughs> hopefully for a new club yeah otherwise I mean it would probably be a bit better than if they started signing players from the uh, England 2014 squad like I don't know Ross Barkley Ricky, <laughs> Ricky Lambert oh uh, Luke Shaw that's probably a bit beyond their pay grade at this point Jack Wilshire recently retired yeah um, who else I can't even think who else Adam Lallana Ooh, yeah. maybe, maybe Adam Lallana at Forest yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the other name I've got written here is Jordan Rhodes wow like for almost every other big <laughs> Big, if, if you're a reasonably sized championship club who has tried and struggled to get promoted in the last six six to ten years, how have how I think Nottingham Forest must be the only one of those such clubs who has not had Jordan Rhodes up front. Oh, it almost looked like we'd scripted this because Dave OM writes in and says, player who I can't believe never played for us but feels like he should have, Jordan Rhodes. Well, fair play. Great Two shout. ticks for that one. A great shout indeed. On to Southampton, who are, I think, a little bit of a mystery too, Charlie, but Zona Mr. Coucho blog fills us in. Southampton would sign a reasonably highly rated player from an upper mid-table club in France, Spain or Holland before he plays a handful of games over the next two years, then he's quietly sold as a result of either attitude problems or not being <laughs> cut out for the league. Hmm. Um, I think it's a little bit harsh. He might go on to better things and be signed by someone else, as in their kind of selling to Liverpool era. So it could go either way for Southampton. They are a staging post, it, but it, they, a player can go either way from there. Yeah, I think of Southampton in a similar way to Leeds, as bringing in hard-running presses, uh, obviously with Hassan Hootel's, uh, approach and maybe someone's coming in from a, from an RB Salzburg or even a kind of Leipzig cast off potentially. Yeah, um, yeah we're getting it, closer. It, it, <laughs> that's kind of what I see when I envisage a Southampton signing. 
Jack, for this one, my instinct was to go to the Wikipedia pages for the squad lists of the last two major men's international tournaments. And from that jungle of names came the duo of Briel Embolo and Jason Denier. <laughs> yeah, those I can't argue with either of those. Those are those are brilliant suggestions. On the same on the same lines as Embolo, you could have Harris Seferovic, famous non-scoring centre forward. Mm. I was thinking that when when I think of Saints players in the last few years, it has actually been a really successful like stepping stone to being a really, really good player. So Van Dyke, Mane, Tadic, Hoybjerg, etc. all have all gone through Wanyama, have all gone through Southampton, Lalana. And it yeah. got me thinking, which other top players could have stepped through Southampton on their way to the current top level? So, for example, I mean, an obvious one would be you could see Nathan Aki going to Southampton in between his time at Chelsea Manchester City. Yeah. Could you see Hyungmin Son going to Southampton in between Bayer Leverkusen and Tottenham? Ooh. Could you see Antonio Rudiger going to Southampton instead of Roma between Stuttgart and Chelsea? Yes, to Maybe. all of those Why things. Um, that's what they're there for. I mean, <laughs> and that's not a bad thing. It, it's a it's a good business model if you get it right. So I don't think it's a terrible thing. But yeah, that's essentially why they exist. Why these clubs exist. Now a big gun. It's Chelsea. Um, oh yeah. Now I feel like we can go slightly semi-historical with this. First of all, because they have this running problem, as we've established on this podcast before, Charlie of trying to sign strikers, definitive, era-defining strikers, Mm -hmm. and fucking it up. One or two successes, Drogba, to an extent, Diego Costa, but that was never going to last. And constantly trying to plug that hole is a very expensive pursuit. So let's assume that this is going to continue, or perhaps other names that could have filled that hole over the last three or four years. I give you Edinson Cavani. Yeah, we got him. (laughs) Mario Mandzukic. Didn't have him. And or... Edin Zeko. Got him. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, which when it cropped That's, up as a story yeah. the other day, felt wrong. But then the more I think of it, it fits it perfectly. The other day I was on, uh, I heard somebody saying, I'm not sure Chelsea should go for a short-term up, up option up front with Aubameyang. And I thought, what have Chelsea been doing for the last 20 years? <laughs> All they do is short-term options up front. You know, Pato, Falcao, Higuain. Higuain. Get someone in who used to be good, get him in for a year. That'll do. Well, Aubameyang but- will be perfect. They, but they do have a slight, there are two slight strands. There's that, which is the kind of dominant one. And that's why I had Levetsi here as well. I know he's not so much a striker, but I, just, I thought like there was a time where he was really expensive and being lauded around. And I, um, but the other is they do have also gone for the kind of super expensive Shevchenko, Lukaku, Werner, who haven't worked out. So they kind of have the two options, which led me to think either Zlatan at his peak as the kind of... Shevchenko Lukaku option or Zlatan of the recent past in a more Iguain kind of way of just like yeah bring him in late era Alexis Sanchez and also kind of late era slightly washed up Carlos Tevez mm. <laughs> you can see just a year or two of Carlos Tevez at the end how about Mauro Icardi I think it's all it's often players that you thought the ship had sailed for you're like, oh no, there's no, like, they were linked with them five years ago, like Iguain, but obviously that's now done. But then they'll be like, yeah, well, but get him in, get him in for half a season or season. One final twist on this for players who really ought to have signed for Chelsea at some point, just through sheer market forces. But I suspect this one is probably glad it never happened. Kareem Benzema, they would have ruined him, mm. wouldn't they? Mm. He would have scored four <laughs> Premier League goals. <laughs> and sat very unhappy yeah. on the bench for three months and then gone back to Real Madrid. Yes, and, and been reduced to kind of working really hard and cameos coming off the bench on the right wing or something. <laughs> right, two really good finishes out of nowhere in like live Sky Games away to Burnley in Southampton. This is it. He's off and running. He could yeah, he'd have clubs. started really well. He'd yeah. have started really well. And <laughs> yeah. then it just would have... 
Don't forget the work he's doing to bring Kai Havertz into play. You know, it's yeah. not just all about the goals. It never is about just about the goals with a Chelsea striker. It's amazing how everybody continues to spin it. Right, Aston Villa. Now, I quite like this one from James Eggerson, who says, sign a player from a European league, highly rated, fans of his former club love him, ends up getting a bad injury or just never settles performance before being loaned to Turkey. Yeah, that's kind of villary. Sort of hints of ambition with the signing, but it never quite work out. Where does he need to go? Uh, Turkey. So what I've got here, I've got actually, I think Villa is a club with two very distinct strands when it comes to signing. You've got your like worthy pro, the sort of Watkins, Ming, Zings, Hurahan, Cash. But you've also got your glamorous South American strain, the kind of Emmy Martinez, Coutinho, Buendia, Diego Carlos, Diego Luis strain. So I think I can't chuck, you know, as ever I'm pulled, is it is it Harry Arter or is it Willian? Mm. Uh, these are the kind of the, the two poles of Aston Villa DNA. Yeah, they do. They flick between these two strands, definitely. Definitely. I would focus more on the latter, that the technical, especially the kind of technical attacking South American, which they seem to have, you know, bring in Coutinho and Buendia for a little bit greedy, but um, you know, good luck to them. Well, maybe Harry Steen has found the ultimate midpoint between these unspectacular and exotic situations. He said, surely Aidan McGeady in Aston Villa between 2009 and 2014 yeah. is the greatest 12.75 million <laughs> love story never told. <laughs> Was part of O'Neill's last hurrah, scored four goals, six assists, and was generally disappointing. Went to Fulham on a free. That's the best scenario we've been painted so far. That this is, is really so good. good. Yeah, That's so, amazing. so good. Excellent. I can just see, I can picture him in the kit. Yep, it's fine. Now, Manchester United next. Um, perhaps the Not super- a lot said about their recruitment, so this, this will be a tricky <laughs> one. Well, perhaps the super tanker is starting to turn under Eric Ten Hag, but let's not get ahead of ourselves too much. Um, the Athletic Sam Brown says, the ageing superstar, once considered a top five player in the world, sadly when they arrive at Old Trafford, their powers are waning by that day. Everyone can see this by the recruitment team at Manchester United. Gabriel Batistuta, after he played for Inter Milan, Neymar in three years' time. He's on the right track, isn't he, Jack? Yeah, definitely. Like, what someone who was almost, or even close to being the best player in the world five years ago is definitely the number one factor here. Yep. Anybody uh, in mind? Uh, I had to double check and see whether Antoine Griezmann had actually yes! played for Manchester <laughs> I did double check. And then I've also got, I think Coutinho, I mean, Coutinho is now not possible because he's at Villa, but if things have gone differently, he could have gone there. Dybala so- as well, I think, Dybala, uh, you know, yeah. uh, over the last few years is like a you know, very expensive new signing. There's so many ways to tackle kind of the elite end of the transfer market when you're when you're a club at Manchester United. Let's set aside the fact that they haven't got Champions League football. Let's not worry about those little nuts and bolts. But I'll chuck a few names at you, Charlie. I feel like Matthias De Ligt feels quite mm. Manchester United-y. I, feel, I mean, I struggle to see where he might go next. And I just think, I feel like he could be the cornerstone of post-Maguire Manchester United. He, he feels really Manchester United-y, doesn't he? Yeah, well, I guess especially with Van der Beek coming in and them going for De Jong, mm. they sort of... they. And Martinez, but obviously he's not Dutch. But a lot of those Ajax, um, a lot of those Ajax guys who were so impressive, sort of in one system, and then you hope to recreate that. Jack, if I could attempt a cross section of Manchester United's transfer activity over the last six years or so, I would say attempt to get a up and coming superstar to to really kind of excite the fans and and the shareholders, a kind of functional second tier attacking talent, and then. A, sort of a really kind of functional sounding European fullback slash midfielder. So to fit those three things, I'll go for João Felix for an exorbitant amount of money. Dusan Tadic circa 2018, sort of in the Mkhitaryan mould. Yeah, yeah. And then Ryan Gravenberg. <laughs> <laughs> Tad, I, it's, uh, it's surprised 
yeah, T- Tadic would have been would have been perfect after uh, Ajax lost the Champions League semi final. Like they should have signed United. Looking back, Tadic is probably one of the few players to play for Ajax the last five years who United haven't seemingly seriously gone in for. I can see Tadic at United under sort of late Mourinho. Just heading into Solskjaer, Charlie. I think any, as Jack said, anyone from Ajax around that time. Yeah, it, it's plausible. Um, right, Bournemouth is next. I'll let you both go first because um, I want to finish this one. Jack, tell me some Bournemouthy things about the transfer market. So Bournemouthy things are hasn't played for a top club. Generally, come up through the football league. Thought to be a good lad. <laughs> Very important. Um, <laughs> Danny Drinkwater, the name fits, but too big time, has played for Chelsea. Lots of players who played for Burnley at certain points. Okay. Jeff Hendrick, I think, would be would be a Bournemouth player. Ashley Westwood would certainly be a Bournemouth player. Oliver Norwood's not a Burnley player, but would be very Bournemouth. And perhaps the Bournemouthy man of all I could come up with, Duncan Watmore. Ooh, interesting. What is the Bournemouth transfer DNA, Charlie? Well, I've got written down here, I associate them with earnest, hardworking English lads with very English names. So your Adam Smiths, mm. your Charlie Daniels, etc. Yeah. Um, so I think that's, that's the key thing they're looking at when they're recruiting. You know, have these guys got core, solid English names? <laughs> uh, and, and, if so, and then are they good lads? Uh, I mean, like Robbie Brady. I know, I know he's not English, but he's just a name that's caught my eye. He did play for them and he left. But that feels like the sort of you know, he's a kind of hard-working... And also, he's another Burnley one, isn't he, Jack? Yeah, yeah not necessarily so footballing bedfellows, DNA-wise, those two clubs. Yeah, well, Eddie Howe, exactly. of course, that's the funny links thing. them. Oh. Charlie Taylor, Stuart Dallas, Liam Cooper. Um, do you know, I was, I was trying to think of what combination of your names would make the most Bournemouthy player. Um, would it be Jack Eccleshare or would it be Charlie Pitbrook? And I think Charlie Pitbrook just edges I think, it. I think just Charlie Brook, get rid of the pit. Oh, okay. I think that's that's the real. I can imagine Charlie Brook as a as a sort of solid left back for Bournemouth. Mm. On the note of all of that, um, I've got nothing really to say other than I spent about ten minutes earlier, almost literally cherry picking this present and or future Bournemouth eleven. Here we go: Josh Griffiths, Levi Colwell, Ben Wilmot, Charlie Cresswell, Connor Roberts, <laughs> Charlie Taylor, Jack. Ben Woodburn, Lewis Ferguson, Grady Dean Garner, Luke Plange, <laughs> and Ellis Sims. No. That sounds pretty Bournemouth. Over to Anfield now. Liverpool. Uh, Adam A. I quite like this one, just for uh, just for classic territory. Says Simao Sabrosa, the most Liverpool player that never signed for <laughs> Liverpool. Jack. Yeah, didn't he knock them out of the Champions League or knock them out of the Europe? With Benfica. Could be. A long time ago, 2007, 2008-ish. Mm. Not that matters. Yeah, I, I mean, I've got like small, a smallish, kind of not not quite an old-fashioned winger, more of an inside-forward type player for them. Like, presses, nowadays would would press a lot. So maybe 10 years ago might have been someone more Mark and Royce, Marco Royce, would now be a bit more like Florian Verts. These names have come out again. Interesting. I think as well, their big thing has been picking off uh, players from sort of not great you know, Premier League teams are a bit below them in the food chain. So I can imagine Jared Bowen, who I know they've been linked with, but that feels like the natural next step from Mane, Jota to Bowen. I mean, as well, we shouldn't go on without saying what a wonderful job the Liverpool recruitment team do. I mean, they really are. It's, it, you know, it's not just that they've got this absolutely amazing manager. We, we, we really can't overstate their recruitment style. Well, actually, the, the concept, Charlie, of Bowen to Liverpool kind of sums up the predicament of big clubs who have a kind of otherwise settled forward line. Is this, this nagging feeling that you need backup. Mm. This nagging feeling that you, if someone gets injured, you need someone who's really, really good, but also happy to be sat behind them in the pecking order. It's really hard. Like, it's a really difficult thing. 
I, I mean, I know, tiny violins, I guess, but um, <laughs> it's it's obviously a very tricky thing for those clubs to nail. And that's why I think signings like Jota are a classic, just very sensible. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, they can come in and, and be that bridge. You know, they're not necessarily going to replace the, uh, you know, legendary attacker, but, you know, they'll do a really good job and maybe just ease them out. It's paid off. It's paid off. On the other half of Merseyside to Everton, africastamps.co.uk, Jack, says Everton, winger from a big six club, had a great year three seasons ago and then signed a huge five-year contract on the back of it, has been in the doldrums since then, comes on massive wages and a point to prove, but will fail to impress despite scoring a hat-trick in the League Cup. They do sign some shite, don't they, Everton? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I definitely. they're definitely, I think, the, the number one club for like... The the guy dropping down from a big club type signing, you know, James Rodriguez, Deli, Iwobi, Mina, Andre Gomez, Lucas Dean, that kind of player, uh, who's you know he's been at a big club, now he's kind of possibly on the way down, but he's still got a bit to prove. He's not, you know, he's not washed up yet. But in theory, that that policy should pay off. It should do because you should be getting you should be getting good players, and you know, arguably, yeah. arguably in those cases, they made money on Dean. They've still got Mina and Gomez who are fine. Iwobi's actually playing quite well at the moment, but. For some reason, it's just always a bit like I don't know. It it seems to work less. It doesn't seem to work as as often as it sh- as as it might. The idea of the the guy who has been at a big club as a kid pay off Charlie for signing lots of players who are sort of slowly descending from the elite level is that you end up with a squad full of players who don't want to be there. Um, yeah. yeah, that's the problem. I really thought Matic would be a good mm, addition to that great. sort of roster of players clearly past their best. But that were good. I mean, yeah, my note here is just complete mishmash of crap under Everton. <laughs> I mean, that seems to be just all sorts of you know varying degrees. I mean, also aren't they? They're, they're one of these clubs who we're told has a very dysfunctional. You know, they're kind of the anti-Liverpool. Yeah. Liverpool have this very slick recruitment operation. Everton, it's kind of lots of competing interests, and it just ends up, uh, yeah, a kind of Delph Matic midfield mm. axis. And the fact that they have signed Mina Gomez and Dean from Barcelona sent me down a bit of a. Uh, Barcelona Wikipedia rabbit hole like guys who played under Guardiola at Barcelona didn't make it and then somehow never ended up at Goodison Park Christian Teo Isaac mm. Cuenca Ibrahim yes. Afalai and the great Jeffren. I was going to say Jeffren, yeah Je- Afalai blows my mind Af- Jeffren. if it was a 50-50 question on a massive quiz I think I would have gone with yes, and I'm disappointed. Afalai's amazing. Jeffren's last three... Cl- this very rarely happens to me on Wikipedia. Jeffren's last three clubs are football clubs I had never heard of. <laughs> His last three clubs are Sl- Slaven Belupo in Croatia, <laughs> Al Daid, which I think who play in the UAE First Division. The one Al that people haven't heard of as well. That's amazing. And, and Lamphun Warriors Football Club in Thailand, in Thai wow. League One. That is astonishing. Fair play. Jeff Jeffren scored in that uh, five minutes ago against Real Madrid, didn't he, in 2010? Yeah. And I remember thinking, oh, here we go, another another amazing Barcelona youngster. But how can clubs resist? This is this is the mm. ex-Barcelona thing. How can clubs resist the schooling that these players must have had? Anyway. The famed oh, La Messiah. Yeah. Over to Wolverhampton Wanderers, whose transfer policy, I guess, doesn't need much digging into. Um, that's fairly set in stone. So Matthew Francis says, as a Wolves fan, I feel like the answer to this is pretty obvious. But in terms of a specific player who hasn't played for us but should have done, Andre Silva. That's sort a good of shuttled down. over to Wolves to kind of resurrect his career before he gets a big move elsewhere. Yeah, I feel like he's missed the Wolves boat now, though. 
that little window has passed. I think as well it can sort of be expanded to managers and, you know, I, I, I suppose Gattuso's never had a go. It feels like he, he'd slot in, you know, with working with Mendes and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, the, the, sh- the shame of it is we record when we do because a few weeks ago before they signed Guedes, I mean, he would have been an absolute shoe in here. Mm. Um, they make it so easy for us, Wolves. Yeah, <laughs> he's, he's actually gone and signed for them. Um, if we can go pre-Portugal era, Jack, I quite like this um, vignette from Jordan Smith. He says, I always thought Kevin Kilban was such a Wolverhampton player during the Mick McCarthy era. English-based <laughs> Irish tricky player. Could see, him in, could see him whipping in crosses for Kevin Doyle or playing a dodgy back pass to Marcus Harneman. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I can definitely picture Kilban in, in that particular kit. That, yes. that kit of the uh, of the Mick McCarthy era team. I'm afraid my my, my list of uh, when I was kind of trying to brainstorm Wolves players this section, uh, I couldn't quite choose. But the list I've got in front of me is Bruno Alves, Pepe, Jose Font, Rafael Guerrero, Ricardo Carvalho, Cristiano Ronaldo, <laughs> Jean Moutinho, Eda, Jean Mario Viarino, Anthony Lopez, Danilo, William Carvalho, Andre Gomez, Renato Sanchez, Nani, Rafa Silva, Elise, Ricardo Quaresma, Cedric, Eduardo, Adrian Silva. Wow. Some of those players, some of those players have played for them. Surely, I don't think they have. So that's the, that, that is the squad that won Euro twenty sixteen minus Rui Patricio, who did definitely play. For them. <laughs> right, Moutinho's in there, isn't he? Did He's... I read out Moutinho? I meant to, yeah, meant to exactly. leave out Moutinho. Shame. That's that, always that going to happen. It's like flying through an asteroid yeah. belt. You're going to get one at some point. <laughs> Right, let's get down to struggling Leicester. I quite like this from Jeremy Benson, Charlie. Leicester think they may have at last found the next Mares. X is a creative winger who plays on the right but enjoys cutting in, scoring with his left. X has been plying his trade in League Two, attracting surprisingly little interest despite seven goals and assists last season. I think, yeah, I wrote down kind of francophone forward, like, yeah, attacking midfielder, winger. Not necessarily French, but... French-speaking part of Africa. Mm. It was like they, they kind of had those markets really nailed for a while. Another club, you know, obviously who, who recruited very well. But I was trying to think who that would be now in... And maybe it is because it's a kind of undiscovered uh, player, but if there was that kind of winger who was knocking around. Uh, but they probably wouldn't yet be in the Premier League. I feel normally that's where Leicester find these bargains. Whoever it is, they will sort of sort of play ball with being asked about whether they are the next Riyad Mahrez and just sort of gently play it down and go, no, look, no, look, a great player, but I am my own man. Jeremy Benson also says, Jack, that somehow Andrus Townsend has never played for Leicester. Um, <laughs> feels quite Leicester-y. Yeah, I can see that. They like the kind of, you know, a bit like an all, sort of slightly better Albrighton, mm. slightly older Harvey Barnes, Demar- slightly older Damari Gray. They like a kind of, you know, the winger cutting in who goes straight for goal. I can see that being part of their makeup. They also, I've got the weirdly, they've got, you know, they, have to, they do do a really good line in like very good foreign players who come in. I've got the weird one I've, I've got, it's like I've got Pavard written down. Thomas <laughs> Mounier. Mounier is Mounier, quite the sort of like solid, on clever, bit, flexible fullback. Yeah, um, I could in, in under different circumstances. I could have seen Hoybier go there or be mm. there. Yeah, I'm just trying to think who's who's next on the conveyor belt for Leicester signing for thirty and then selling for eighty. Not sure. Uh, bottom of the Premier League table and perhaps the most fun option for this entire episode: West Ham United Football Club. <laughs> well documented, Charlie was their prolonged preoccupation with signing sort of vaguely promising looking strikers who looked like they'd be a twenty five goal season men, but only in TV dramas. <laughs> um, 
Uh, I mean, the list is just so long for these strikers. They're almost sort of too good looking to be good at scoring goals. Well, we, we touched on Danny uh, yeah, of course. last week, didn't we? Yeah. Sort of, uh, yeah, I feel like they had a lot of Italian strikers who left having literally scored no goals uh, or maybe one goal. And obviously Skamak has come in this summer hasn't he yeah. and you know he, he feels a bit more legit but even so it wouldn't be wouldn't be a massive surprise I mean they were they were such good fun for a while because mm. they really were just going out and signing some players who you thought they seem a little bit overpriced and at the end of their careers but in a, in a more neutral context Jack West Ham performed a function and maybe may still well do, perform this function of signing players you're quite interested to watch but don't want anywhere near your team <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, just in case they turn out to be rubbish which I think is actually quite a useful function on a neutral level Alison Andrew Diamante, yes. uh, David de Michele, yep. D- Diego Tristan, Ilan, yeah. who I think I actually kept them up uh, about 12 yes. years ago. Uh, so Ilan was probably one of the more successful ones. But what I like about Scamacca is he's so much, he's so perfectly in the tradition of Marco Borriello, mm. Simone Zaza, uh, Notturino, etc. God, I've forgotten some of these guys. And also they will occasionally strike gold, like with Payet, yeah. who... You know, it was another one who you, you might think, oh, he's going to come in and, and not do a lot for them. And he was absolutely amazing to watch. Tommy Cordery writes in and says, we play a game called Vintage West Ham based on exactly this idea. Sadly, Moyes has messed it up the last few years and has muddied the waters. But previous winners include Daniel Sturridge, Joe Hart, Salomon <laughs> Kalou and Graziano Pella. Graziano Pella's very West Ham. That's so good. Sort of post-China coming back. Yeah, that yeah. wouldn't make sense. Joe Hart not play for West Ham? Yeah, he did on loan. He did. Oh. He did. Yeah, he did. Yeah. Tommy Cordery, your yeah. game doesn't work. Uh, amazing. Right, I want to round this off with um, West Ham's latest signing, which is Emerson Palmieri from Chelsea, which I think, in the grand scheme of this window, is the most just six out of ten, barely underwhelming signing of the Premier League transfer window. There's there's nothing about him. And I think the fact that there's nothing about him is perfectly reflected in their the news story on their website announcing his signing. It couldn't be more textbook. It's the most textbook story on a club website of a player arriving I've ever seen. Picture at the top is him signing uh, his contract or faux contract at the desk with some sponsors behind him. West Ham United are delighted to announce the signing of Italy international defender Emerson Palmieri. The 28-year-old has joined the Hammers on a four-year contract with a one-year option for an undisclosed fee from fellow Premier League club Chelsea. The pacey and technically proficient left-back or left-wing-back, renowned for his stamina and attacking qualities, Emerson has won the UEFA European Championship, UEFA Champions League and UEFA Europa League during a stellar career. Born in Brazil, yada, yada, yada. Now here come the quote from Emerson. I'm very happy to be here and to arrive here, said Emerson, who will wear the number 33 shirt. It's a big challenge for me. It's a big team, so I'm very happy to be here and I'm ready. Personally, since the first day I arrived here in England, I always saw the big clubs and I always watched the big games and I knew the history about West Ham. The history is so, so big for this team. And so when I knew about the interest for sure, I said, yes, let's go. I want to go there and I'm here now. I can't wait to get started in a West Ham shirt. It's so perfect. So, Charlie, this is from the player's perspective. Could it be more perfect? Yeah, that, that's absolutely amazing. I mean, I think he's... <laughs> you, you can't really talk about... The way he's talking about it is as if he hasn't been in England. The, the, he sort of... Once you've been in England, to say like, oh, and I watched them. It's like, yeah. you can say that if you're coming straight from Brazil yeah, or wherever. He was, but... he was already on. You were there. Yeah. So <laughs> That's some lovely stuff from him. Great as well. Always great when a Chelsea player leaves and your first instinct is, was he still at Chelsea? I mean, I think a lot of people had long forgotten that 
he was still knocking around. Absolutely right. Jack, you can have the manager's perspective. This, these are the ultimate quotes of a manager who's just happened to sign someone to fill the numbers <laughs> in their squad and is trying desperately to find some words to make it sound like he really, really wanted him for a long, long time. Manager Moyes expressed his happiness at adding more proven Premier League, European and international experience to his squad, which will compete on four fronts this season. We are very pleased to welcome Emerson to West Ham United, said Moyes. He is an experienced player with a good pedigree who has enjoyed <laughs> great success at both club and international level in recent years. He will give us strong competition in defensive areas and brings a winning mentality that we are looking to build here at West Ham. We look forward to working with Emerson and wish him all the very best in his career with us. He's never seen him play in his life. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And if he it's, has, he doesn't remember it. Yeah, yeah, that, that is classic. That's, uh, that could be anybody. Yeah, it could be. I wonder if they've just got that on file and they just do a, a kind of cert, you know, control C, control V. I don't think I've ever seen a manager, Charlie, wish a player all the very best in his <laughs> career with us. It's like he's saying goodbye already. <laughs> that, that is the uh, equivalent of the Anitra B. Can you tweet something like <laughs> that? that, I'm, that would, I wouldn't be amazed if the sort of boilerplate had been left on. I mean, like, you know, include like this needs you know can you just put this under david's nose please or something <laughs> i sense that emerson palmieri is going to be wished all the very best a lot more times in his career right that brings us to the end of our premier league table of transfer dna have we nailed this jack i was skeptical going into this about whether we could do this i think we have i think we have i think we i think we have covered all the clubs i just wish that i do wish we'd got to kind of dangle into um burnley and qpr and some of the the more distinctive championship teams offerings but I think we've done and Norwich City but we've done pretty well yeah we could do the championship one day one day Charlie as an overview of all of this I feel like it's a good 50-50 split between identifiable strategies that work for the club and their business model and just free for all (laughs) sort of scratch and sniff yeah and I think it's a shame that now we're moving it is so professional and even the clubs that we used to think of as basket cases although that said Clubs still find ways to mess up, don't they? So maybe it will long, long will it continue that you know some clubs do still just go on these crazy ventures and it's really entertaining. Well, some might increasingly sneer at clubs who seem to not know what they're doing, but it seems to me that there are some players who just exist for these clubs and that's why they're in circulation. So long may that continue too. Thanks to you, Jack Pickbrook. Thank you. Thanks to you, Charlie Ecochet. Enjoy the rest of the window. Thank you very much. Yeah, and you. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Uh, we'll be back with Mesut Harland Dix on Tuesday, and we'll be doing the adjudication panel later next week. Thanks for listening. See you next time. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.